1: Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast for Thursday, October 15th. I'm your host, John McCagney, joined as always. By Mario Puig. Mario, we got a loaded slate of games as always for this weekend, assuming that things continue to be going on schedule. What we'll see. We don't have a Thursday night game this week. We did get treated to a Tuesday night or earlier in the week, um, but we we should, as it stands, have a pretty big Sunday ahead of us, and we got a doubleheader on Monday night as well. So a lot of football to be consumed in the in that window. Um, before we get to that, um, I just. Hopefully this doesn't age out immediately after we we post this. But what are your thoughts on Le'Veon Bell? And, and like, if you could power rank like those three landing spot potentials uh, for him, uh, what do you make of him?
2: Well, I think if he goes to the Chiefs, that would at once be his best landing spot, and I guess for most people the most annoying one because it would specifically tap into I think the pass catching production that Clyde Edwards Hilaire might otherwise have been entitled to. And it's, it's one of those things like it, Le'Veon Bell at this point, I assume, is looking for a competitive team slash favorable setup rather than a big contract at this particular point in the year. I assume it's going to be a one year deal, maybe like a two year thing with some kind of option or something like that. So I don't think he's really looking for some sort of big sales pitch beyond like, hey, do you want to you know, experience a break from the misery of uh, playing on a team like the Jets? Like, would you like to leave hell briefly? And if so, would you like to go someplace that might be, for instance, nice where we win? And I think it's like the Bills and the Chiefs obviously stand out over the Dolphins for that reason. And it just seems like the Chiefs could use Bell more, I think, Uh, especially when you consider like Josh Allen takes up rushing shares in the Buffalo offense that Mahomes does not in the Kansas City one. So I think Bell to, to the Chiefs makes the most sense as far as whether he has anything left. I don't really have any idea, but I would say that I think he would be fine on a team like that just because they t- it's such a favorable situation for runners. And I think, if nothing else, he's a pass-catching upgrade over Edward Tiller right away. Mm-hmm. So it's just easy to imagine Bell... Getting into the Chiefs' offense and making like an actual improvement to me, whereas with the Dolphins, it's who cares? They're the Dolphins, and with the Bills, it's like, great, you're just like the backup here. You've replaced TJ Yeldon.
1: <laughs> Yeldon had a play on Monday or Tuesday night, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he had a <laughs> touchdown catch. Uh, he's been he's been playing. He's he's been okay, you know. But it's just like you're you're not going to
1: play unless uh, Devin Singletary is whatever fumbling or hurt or something like that. Right, so so, and, and like you said, I mean, Josh Allen draws a lot of the water in that rushing attack. So I think for as far as fantasy goes, wouldn't be great in Buffalo, but I think that would be a good addition for for Buffalo from from a football perspective. It just wouldn't be yeah, great for, for fantasy. And then, uh, yeah, I think you have it have it nailed. Where the Chiefs would probably be the ideal landing spot. It would infuriate the the edwards hilaire Havers out there, but I mean he hasn't really done all that all that much since week one really and even then he he left some opportunities on the table he's 0 for 8 and reaching the end zone on carries inside the five yard line he just at this stage I'm I'm surprised because you know when when we were talking about him as a prospect the 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 whole idea was like yes he's short but like he's very very dense for for his size so theoretically you know he should have some oomph some power um, behind behind you know his runs but simply unable to like break tackles in the open field when he has to take somebody on or move or let alone move a pile you know get get the push in those short yardage situations so bell could at least you know immediately replace him in those functions
2: yeah he might i think the deal with edward to is that We knew he wasn't going to be a bruiser like he's he's 5'7 207 and with that sort of density it lends a a, just a, a tendency to have a leverage advantage over the people trying to tackle you and he'll break tackles for that reason like guys will come in and try to hit him or two guys will come in and try to hit him and they kind of catch more of each other than they do him and it's like when he does take contact he's sort of uniquely rooted into the ground to sort of channel it into the ground rather than into his own body and that's the kind of stuff that lets him have tacklers sort of slick off of him, you know, like water off of a duck or something. But then when he needs to actually move a pile, it's like, oh no, he's 5'7, 207. <laughs> These guys are whatever, 250 pounds, and they run a 455, he runs a 4'6. I almost, in hindsight, wonder if we might have had like a sort of hint that he would lack that ability to move a pile. In the 40 time, which I otherwise think doesn't really matter, like a 4 for him when you have the 40-inch vertical, the broad jump, the quickness, it doesn't really matter because he can still dice around. He can still cut up space really effectively. But in that pile situation, it looks like he doesn't really have that much to offer in contrast to – a real star running back like Maurice Jones-Drew, who was all the same build characteristics as Clyde Edwards-Helaire, but he had more workhorse potential, more star potential, because he was actually fast, and he would channel that velocity into really, you know, charging, putting a charge into a defender, whereas Clyde Edwards-Helaire just kind of needs them to miss.
1: Yeah, MJD still holds the the crown for the short kings out there, so respect to Barry Sanders
2: was kind of the same way. Not, not to like, obviously, you know, Barry Sanders is, is the, is like the best running back ever or whatever, but it was like, I remember people at the time say like, man, how the hell does he break so many tackles and stuff? And it's like, well, when you're, you're smaller than other people, it's not obviously like optics wise that you're going to be stronger, but velocity times mass, you know? And if if you put it on a low uh, center of gravity, then the guys who are bigger and stronger don't have as much, you know, one-to-one strength in that situation. Cause they're kind of like, you know, Bending at the knees or the waist to even get their hands on him in the first place So but yeah, it doesn't seem like Clyde Edwards has that and if, if they need more than what he's done so far Then they might just need more
1: Yep, and uh, you know those dynamics you're talking about reminds me of like battle bots or something and the, like the low wedge Robot always seemed to that was Absolutely. faster had the motor uh, always seemed to come out on top and um, Let's get on over to to this week's slate of games. Uh, I want to kick things off. In Philadelphia, we got the Ravens. Seven and a half point favorites on the road uh, against the Eagles in this one. That seems like a lot. Um, At the same time, the Ravens results-wise... Have looked fine, other than the than the Chiefs game. Uh, you know, they they took down the Browns in Week One. That that seems to be their their best win of the season thus far, and that that was the first week under Stefanski. Um, the Browns just kind of fell apart in that matchup. The the Texans were completely lost when the Ravens uh, took them out. Um, the Washington football team, we know what's up with them, and and of course last week the Bengals. I mean, poor poor Joe Burrow. But this is a, this is an Eagles team that I'm not particularly high on to, to be clear, but I think they have a little bit more punch that, than those other teams that the Ravens have beat up on. So with that in mind, I mean seven and a half points on the road. I think that's kind of a big number for, for the Ravens to, to cover. but uh, I want to you know get into a couple of fantasy questions here when it comes to this game. I want to start things off with the Ravens running backs last week lamar jackson obviously on the injury report all week with the knee and the illness as well so it figured especially going up against the Bengals. okay this is the week that um dobbins edwards ingram like they just kind of like eat up this entire game it didn't end up going that way so if lamar jackson a week healthier um a little bit more mobile in in this matchup maybe used a little bit more in the run game what can we make from a fantasy perspective of these ravens running backs right now
2: Well, it's pretty tough to know, especially when we don't have any input from the Ravens coaches. You know, we don't know what their objectives are. We don't know what their goals are. So it's kind of hard to guess from outside what they might try to do because we we know what we might try to do, you know, given certain premises. It's like we have certain ideas of how to deal with those things. But I don't know if they do what I would do, which is probably just put Mark Ingram on the bench and – Try to get Dobbins going generally, but especially as a pass catcher, especially while they're unable or whatever, unwilling to get somebody other than Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews going as a pass catcher. It's like if you can't get a third part in the passing game going, Dobbins – Or I would go DuVernay, but if I I don't think they're going to go with DuVernay, then they have to start getting Dobbins to pick up some of that slack. And Mm -hmm. he he can't do it if Mark Ingram is on the field. Mark Ingram is not really uniquely good enough as a pass catcher for him to qualify for that function. Uh, Gus Edwards, as a pure runner, I think can match or exceed Ingram. So it's like I would consider Edwards uh, at least due for like a bigger carry rate than what he has. Maybe not like a proper promotion, but just a few more than what Ingram gets. The problem is I don't I don't know if they think any of these things and I, I don't know if they have a different goal entirely, uh, so it's it's hard to speculate on it. We we know Dobbins is the best one. That's that's something, but it's kind of all we have, and I don't really know what what it's worth in itself, you know. So uh, I don't know what to do with the running backs in Baltimore, especially for this particular game. For this particular game, I feel like it would be easier for the for the Ravens or in the interest of the Ravens to kind of spread out the Eagles' defense because they can be pretty tough against the run. Their front four has some depth, has some talent, so you don't want to make it all a trench fight against them. But if you spread things out, then you, you, you're probably going to lose a little something against whoever's running against Slay. But the other corners just seem various shades, differing types of helplessness. At the other corner spots. And even Slay, I'm not sure if he wants to cover a player like Marquise Brown because uh, it's it's just a different kind of task playing coverage against someone like that versus the average built NFL receiver. And Slay's not like a top five corner. He's more like a top – 12 top yeah, he's very good kind of, but yeah, yeah he's, he's totally decent but it's more like a bradley Roby kind of case where you're like well i'd rather go against hargreaves i guess but i'm not exactly scared about this mm. um so uh i think they should keep going to duvernay they didn't give him more snaps last week he had two catches on two targets in the long end around carry while mm-hmm. boykin of course did nothing yep. so i think if they get duvernay on the field it's like they'll just find the answer like was, was sitting in front of them the whole time but sometimes it's hard to get these coaches to forget Uh, the false lessons that they think they've learned in watching these guys in practices it's like they clearly just think Boykin is something that he is not and they haven't realized yet what Duvernay actually is and uh, we need kind of circumstance or change the gap between those things and until then uh, I just don't know what else is going on here other than Marquise Brown and
1: Mark Andrews. No, yeah, it's been yeah brutal as far as, far as that goes, finding any sort of viable pulse outside of, of Brown and, and Andrews. I expect it to, con- to continue. I, I think that over the course of time, Duvernay will get more involved. I think that in the short term, though, Baltimore is going to keep banging their head into the wall and trying to make Miles Boykin a thing for whatever reason. Um, you know, there are quotes from Harbaugh earlier this week talking about trying to get him more involved, but it's like you're already playing him a ton of snaps. You're, you're not like running designed plays to like get, get him the ball in space or anything like that. So I, I just don't know uh, what, what they expect is going to – like what this quote-unquote like more involved actually ends up looking like because he's not creating a viable target for Lamar Jackson to throw to.
2: And it's frustrating to me, especially because of like Duvernay two weeks ago, I think it was in the Washington game, had some long play where he was open and Lamar just missed him. And it's like the frustrating thing is I think if if Lamar had thrown an on-target pass and Duvernay had caught it, which he would have, he doesn't really drop passes, then... They might have benched Boykin by now, you know, and it's like you can't you can't let that pivot point be the, the basis of, of where you take the direction of the offense. You have it's your job to know that Duvernay is the guy who's going to be in the position to make that catch. And if, if he's already there, like he already was, you have to understand, like, well, I need to give him credit for this play, even though it wasn't a touchdown, because most of the time Lamar won't miss this throw. And instead, it's like they're like, well, sorry, Duvernay, you have to be. I don't know, just you have to have better luck next week before we can be really convinced. Because, uh, yeah, if he had that touchdown, then it would just be like th- they would have changed their game plan to suit him, which they will eventually I think, and they will be rewarded when they do. But I'm, I'm a little frustrated uh, because I thought Boykin would be better too. And he just yes. and, and since Boykin isn't any better, it's like, man, what the hell are we even waiting for now? I thought he would be better. He isn't. This is easy.
1: It, exactly. It, so it, it – it, again it's one of those things where in the short term they're they they seem to be pot committed to to doing whatever it is they're doing with, with miles Boykin so it, it might take that that bit of you know found luck for for Duvernay uh you know getting the, getting a good pass and, and showing that that he is just the better option than Boykin for making it happen then you know go, going back to it all like Lamar Jackson just hasn't been as sharp this year I mean his bad pass percentage. Checking in at 23%. That's not great. And his, his receivers' yards after catch has dropped off by over a yard. So maybe that suggests he's not hitting his receivers in stride just as well this year. Um, I, I think that there, is been some, there has been some hemming and hawing. I, I don't want to belabor the Ravens too much longer here, but about just like the Ravens offense not really looking at the way it did last year but the Ravens didn't really get into gear until around that Seattle game uh, in week seven of last season before they really started to click so maybe there, there's some reason for optimism that, that they will be able to regain some semblance of, of that form from 2019 but yeah for, for right now it hasn't been um, as electric as, as maybe we were expecting coming into the year um, and then on the Philadelphia side from a fantasy perspective what do we make of Travis Fulgham?
2: Well, he's a tough one for someone like me because my process can't take him that seriously. <laughs> he, he does seem to be a pretty good athlete, and that's something. It, 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 it at least means that he can do certain tasks well. The question is how much skill he has to go with these tools and whether the scale of the tools or, or the skills – combined can, can make him a regular contributor or only an occasional one because it's one thing to be an efficient ta- on a per target basis as a target and it's another to be able to draw efficient targets at a useful target rate because uh, if you're a guy who just needs everything to be perfect on a play and you you know make make this you know one catch and it's it's a really efficient explosive play but you can't present viable targets the rest of the time that's when things start to kind of uh get a diminished utility but he's kind of um he's weird because he's been really good in both of those games with the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, it's not like the plays are uh, super flute. These are not like David Tyree catches, but they are catches where it's like, man, I guess I can understand. I can imagine a better defensive back than this guy making a play on the ball. And like this catch doesn't happen and it's not his fault, but that's just kind of stuff that I think would happen uh, a little bit more often going forward. And yet 12 targets or 12 catches rather, like that's a huge workload and it's like even if you're a fluky player, usually that's a big enough uh, like target sample for for some of the uh, regression to the mean to happen and like none of it did in that game. It's like he just kept coming through every
1: time. Just and it like was he against only- the Steelers.
2: Yeah, and uh, their, their, their corners, I will say, are not really built to stop a receiver like Fulgham. Like both Nelson and Hayden are, are like 5'10", 5'11". Uh, they're, they're more kind of built to mirror like a Calvin Ridley kind of receiver. But if Fulgham can make contested catches and there's no other viable target aside from him, then he's still the guy that Carson Wentz will have to go to. And it's like even if he diminishes his efficiency from here, he can afford to lose a lot. It's like when you catch uh, that many targets uh, and that target volume in a game, it's like you can afford a few incomplete ones and you'd still be good in fantasy. So I don't think he'll really separate very much in the NFL. Uh, I I don't think he can really get open a whole lot. But if he has the faith of the quarterback and he keeps making those catches when they throw to him, then it doesn't really matter. You know, it's like he'll he'll get the opportunity until he stops uh, capitalizing on it. And it seems like they're not really going to use white Whiteside anytime anytime soon. Jalen Rager will probably do different stuff, so it, he, that shouldn't really be a, a major concern. And yeah, in the meantime, it's like especially as long as Goddard is out. I just don't know where else, whence it's supposed to go. Exactly. Good. So um, I expect the returns to diminish, but I don't exactly expect him to disappear, especially since, uh, like, especially now because of, like, Alshon Jeffrey or something like that. Like, maybe it goes wrong for Fulgham, but I doubt it's because, uh I doubt it's because he just, like, ends up on the bench or something. It'll be more like he turns into Zach Pascal, his old, uh, old Dominion team, teammate or something.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Alshon Jeffrey doesn't exist to me anymore. I, I think he's just, like, a figment of my imagination at, at this point. But, um, yeah, I mean, Fulgum Obviously, it's been shocking what what he's done, given the pedigree over over the last couple of weeks. But I mean, I, I thought he looked good doing doing what he did, and that's just eye test. So that that that's flimsy, anecdotal, what what have you. But um, you know, the under the hood numbers, those are due to regress, of course. But it it just does feel like the point you were making, where it's just like, where else does Wentz really have to go at this point? And it's like you have Ertz out there, of course, but Goddard's out, Alshon Jeffrey again, not real, Deshaun Jackson permanently questionable and then you have greg ward john hightower like it
2: it ward is so awful they got to get him (laughs) off the field so Uh, yeah the thing fulgham is is big and he's got a big wingspan so he has traits that lend to making more of those contested catches and the
1: opportunities should keep being there yep so i i like him I, i i think that I think he's more of like a wide receiver three or, or a flex for this week. But but once Philadelphia faces off against, you know, less stiff competition, like, you know, you get the Giants and the Cowboys that the, the the two weeks after this one, I love I love Fulgham in, in those next two games. I, I just think that it's probably wrong to have like the same expectations for him this time around this week specifically. But I do like like if you if you spent a hefty amount of your fab on him, I don't think that that was a waste of money
2: no i would maybe consider benching him this week but at the very least like you said the next two games after that it should be game on
1: again yeah let's do it odu it needs more respect we we love <laughs> we love the monarchs on this pod um let's get on over we got bangles going up against the colts colts seven and a half point favorites this is a this is a matchup of two teams that i can't really figure out the, the colts are so strong in pretty much every area except the quarterback so very much like 2019 um, I guess the receiving core isn't isn't very good for, you know, injury reasons and and, and personnel. But, I mean, it, it still just feels like Rivers is such a limiting factor on this offense where they can't really punish opposing defenses the way that they should, like a Bengals team. Like, I, I don't expect them to hang a ton of points on them. But is this the week where Jonathan Taylor really gets going?
2: It, not necessarily, but it is a good setup, about as good of a setup as you could hope for, because... I could be wrong, of course, but I would expect that the Colts defense causes a lot of problems for Joe Burrow and that Cincinnati offensive line. If Calais Campbell and can cause a lot of problems, then you would expect to Forrest Buckner cause a lot of the same problems and probably in a greater scale. so there's there's a lot of ways that the Colts can really dictate the the flow of this game and the pace of this game. and if the if everything's occurring on their terms, then it's kind of a low pressure uh, setup for them to get Jonathan Taylor put up in a, in a good, um, just like a high volume series of reps. Where you know, hopefully, this can be the venue where he ha- he has the right sense of like urgency and and kind of uh, comfort and familiarity to put it all together. Because it seems like he's been. Recalibrating this whole time, like adjusting to the speed of the NFL and uh, the particular ways that the Colts' offense functions differently than the Wisconsin one, and I'm sure he came into the league with a fair amount of anxiety about his fumble history. So I can imagine him kind of spending more of his mental bandwidth this year focusing on holding onto the ball than maybe he did at Wisconsin. But the point is, uh, he's he's been spending his bandwidth on thing things other than just running with the football, and I feel like we can basically. Confirm that this is true because he hasn't been breaking tackles and he hasn't been uh, just you know running over or around guys and there's a way that it could go wrong for Taylor but I don't think that this is the way that it could possibly stay wrong in the NFL like a guy as big and fast as him as strong as him who ran as effectively as he did in college will start breaking tackles eventually like there's not really any question about that the question is if he starts breaking tackles is it not enough somehow? Is it still not enough? And when you look at everything else, I think, like, no, that would that's the one thing missing here. And I, I think that moment will happen eventually. Uh, I, I'm taking, I'm, d- I'm kind of like t- deferring to the faith of you know what he did at Wisconsin already and the history of guys with his set of traits with his production history. It's like, there's no real precedent for a guy like Taylor being especially as big and fast as he is, just never breaking a tackle again when it's something that he did constantly in college. Like it wasn't quite, Uh, Like we're never free from the Trent Richardson risk. Right. But generally that's that's about as unusual of a case as it would have to be. And we've seen guys like, uh, you know, like Daryl Henderson coming from that very particular Memphis style of offense, having to adjust to the Rams. It's like he looked kind of lost in the, the Rams practices all last year. This year he looks different. Uh, maybe it's a Wisconsin thing specifically. It's like James White was scratched his whole rookie year with the Patriots and Melvin Gordon had that weird rookie year <laughs> where he didn't look like the way that he has the rest Record of his Record setting
1: for most so touches Taylor, without a touchdown.
2: Right, yeah. So uh, maybe Taylor's kind of going through the same uh, re-acclamation that they are. And uh, if so, then it's it's unfortunately one of those things like, well, he's just not going to be Jonathan Taylor until he acclimates But when he acclimates, he's going to go in nuts and we're not going to get a fair like, you know, just a PSA this morning on Sunday. Jonathan Taylor knows what he's doing now and he's he's going to kill the Bengals big time. Uh, (laughs) That's not how it works. So uh, you have to guess ahead of time. And, you know, granted, I thought it would be sooner than now, but I I can't really argue against putting some amount on this game being
1: the time that it happens. Do you think that Rivers is part of the problem? As to why, like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: I mean, so I don't think Jacoby Brissett was any good last year, and I haven't looked at the defensive tape, so I don't know if teams are playing differently. But and I'm I'm infuriated that people don't notice this stuff more often in the football analysis. But like you can think about how things will work by just putting yourself in the shoes of a defensive coordinator. Right. And if you're going against Philip Rivers, you might still have some anxiety about passes getting completed on you. But you're focusing specifically on the big tight end in the middle of the field. You're focusing on the running back. You're focusing on the slot receiver. You're not you're not worried about. Philip Rivers throwing deep down the field to a five foot nine receiver so you don't put your safety back there you put your safety up by that tight end by that slot receiver you're shrinking the field on the offense as you do this and uh, I guess there's a threshold a defense can tip where it becomes like Indiana Tevin Coleman where they're almost making it easier on the running back by stacking the line of scrimmage so much because then if they miss then they can't catch over. Uh, but it hasn't done that with with Taylor. They're so far containing him, and uh, the containment point seems to be higher up than it was with Brissett. Who, at least Brissett could throw the ball deep. Rivers can't do that, so you're just not you, you're not putting your safeties in a part of the field where the play won't happen.
1: It, yeah, I mean that that's that's a great way of of laying it unless out. Unless you're and, Greg Williams. <laughs> yes, unless you're Greg Williams, um, True King, um, but. Yeah, it's just a, a frustrating situation. Like it, you know, the, this team feels so ready to to win. The defense has been great. The offensive line is is still, you know, up near the top. Uh, the receiving core again needs some work. But you know, when when the quarterback just simply doesn't scare your defense, it it hurts the rest of the offense, and and that we're seeing that now um, in Indianapolis. And then uh, just quickly on on the Bengals side, um, two two points to to bring up. One. A.J. Green presumably just kind of removed from this offense at this point. I mean, I, I just don't really understand what what he's doing out there anymore. Last week was just shockingly weird. Uh, his whole like he had a goose egg, basically like almost blocked for Marcus Peters after that interception. So, you know, how much does this potentially elevate? a guy like T Higgins, while also, you know, addressing the fact that Burrow is just anytime that the Bengals face a defense with a pulse, he's going to be getting hit constantly.
2: Yeah, they need to basically bench Burrow, not for performance reasons, but because they have a hazardous workplace and it's getting ridiculous. Uh, He can't keep taking 15 hits a game. This is just ridiculous. It's it's actually kind of reaching David Carr. uh, it, well, I was going to say it's, it's reaching almost like a criminal negligence sort of point. <laughs> like you can't – like you can't have a job listing where it's like – guy who gets assaulted on camera like that's that's a job that's illegal so you have to say like well it's a fight of some kind it's like this isn't a fight this guy's sitting here waiting to get punched by these other guys that's not mma or football that's just guy getting assaulted on tv so that's that's basically how the the Bengals are, are setting up the the quarterback position to be played and as long as that's the case they should probably sign someone who's uh, they should make their quarterback be one of those NHL guys who just get in fights. The goon thing, yeah. yeah. They should get a goon from the NHL play quarterback, and he he just gets the snap, immediately fumbles, and starts throwing punches every play.
1: Uh, ho- or a Homer Simpson from from the boxing episode where he's got like the like the extra padding in his skull, so he can just all he does is take <laughs> punches. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's concussion proof. Mm-hmm. Um, they should get somebody like that. Because uh, yeah, f- fifteen hits a game. I've, it's insane. I, granted, this is a new stat that they're keeping track of, but like, even even Archie Manning couldn't have been dealing with much worse than that. Be- if only because they only threw the ball like twenty two times a game back <laughs> then. Um, but anyway, it's ridiculous. And the the problems, these profound issues, these these like singularly bad issues that the Bengals offensive line are having, are only going to stay exactly as bad against the Colts because again, DeForest Buckner is one of those guys you just cannot mess around with he'll cause a lot of problems and even if you manage to stop him from causing problems uh, good luck with Houston and they got a few guys who can cause some problems in that defense I don't know what Darius Leonard's status is but I don't think it matters the 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 offensive line can't play for the Bengals and uh, as far as mixing goes it's like he's such a good athlete and he can end up catching passes especially in PPR he can end up like boosting his line by catching passes which he's very good at that stuff's all in play But with the certainty of the offensive line being overwhelmed, the floor is quite low and there's just no basis for anticipating whether he ends up anywhere in between.
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's going to be a a tough setup regardless, but maybe he can he can get it going in in the passing game and and get things working that way. Um, Let's get on over Lions versus Jaguars Lions three and a half point favorites on the road here a little bit surprising. This kind of sets up to me as one of the better DFS games on the, on the slate this week. What one that you can definitely go after from a stacking perspective on either side. The Lions coming off the bye, they should be healthy. Um, obviously, the running back situation going to continue to be frustrating, but Kenny Galladay's back in the in the fold, of course. TJ Hawkinson seems to be clicking. A week off you get a, you get to go against the jaguars i think this sets up really well for the lions and then on the other side the jaguars like they they just seem to be a nice you know nice source of fantasy production for, for the most part The the receiving production like Min- minchu seems to be able to put up yardage while seemingly not being able to support any of his receivers from a fantasy perspective it's it's a weird little phenomenon going on there like i'm still waiting for it for Chark to get it rolling but uh what, what do you make of this game
2: well, I don't know what Chark's condition is. He didn't practice Wednesday, so I uh, don't know what's going to happen today, Thursday. It's um, I don't know. It's it's concerning because I think Chark is a really really good receiver when he's healthy. But unless unless I'm in DFS, at least it's like if unless I'm getting a price where it's assuming he's kind of maybe damaged goods in this matchup, then it's it's like it doesn't really matter how good he is if he's if he's costing some price that just you know, isn't fair for his current condition. And then like you said, uh Minshew isn't exactly a good quarterback. So when Chark does put up these dominant performances, it's it's because Chark is dictating it. It's not really because like Minshew's just, you know, going Jedi on the defense and everybody's getting open because he, he's just hitting everything perfectly. It's like Chark does freakish stuff to make a lot of the plays that he does. And if he can't be in freakish shape to make those plays, then, then maybe he's just not in a position to capitalize. Plus, there should be other open targets in this matchup and, and Minshew kind of, Struggled for longer stretches than I than I would like to have seen against the Texans because they're they're non Roby corners. And I'm just going to assume Roby was on Chark, but they're not Roby corners are utter trash like there's no good reason that visca chenault had less than 100 yards in that game chenault should have gone over 100 yards cole should have done more and yet Minshew couldn't really get them going a whole lot and uh conley still stays involved on an annoying basis colin johnson got uh it looks like they're gonna try to get him red zone snaps he looks all right not good for anybody i don't know um yeah so i I, i'm not really feeling that great about shark and i it's it's tricky with chenault cole Even when they have good matchups because it's like when you have a bad or – sorry, a not good quarterback like Minshew – sometimes the matchup is meaningless. Like sometimes you have a big matchup advantage at wide receiver over the corners and it's, it gets negated by the quarterback not being particularly high baseline himself. So it's always going to be a little risky with Minshew, but uh, the, the lions generally are one of the better teams in the NFL at having just total meltdowns in most phases of the game, but including defense.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this could set up where the lions do what they do. They build a double digit lead. And then Minshew gets to go into, like, wazoo garbage time mode. And, or
2: and or Minshew g- completes, like, 22 of 23 passes for 260 yards and two touchdowns. And Adrian Peterson runs 37 times for 70 yards. And the Lions lose by a field goal, uh, like 22. 20, Two to 19 let's say oh,
1: i hope there are more points in this one but uh but you, <laughs> you know there,
2: there probably will be but it's just like that's that's just kind of the wrench in the gears kind of risk that we have with an idiot coach like patricia on one side and just like a, a goofy uh kind of kind of average talent at best but but generally dysfunctional organization like the jags on the other side it's like it, it can turn into a failure olympics occasionally
1: and And those are the kind of things that that I thoroughly enjoy having you know pop up on my red zone screen I, I love seeing that um, before we get on to our next game let's get let's get a message from our friends over at Prediction Strike Prediction Strike is a fantasy sports stock market on which you Can buy and sell shares in stocks of professional players as if they were stocks. Ever heard someone say, I've had stock in this player since day one. Well, now prediction strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes' rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now it's a reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. To get started Simply visit predictionstrike.com to create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players just like you do with real stocks. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time as long as the player isn't currently in a game. Get started today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 with your first deposit of $20 or more. We also got a message here from our friends over at Stable Duel. Are you dominating your fantasy football league? Well, now there is another game you need to play. Imagine fantasy for horse racing stable duel is live with daily contests offering thousands of dollars to be won each week download the stable duel app create your account and start by selecting your horses today compete against other players for winning circle glory and big money prizes new to racing not to worry stable duel is simple and fun with low level entries and big payouts Name your stable, select 10 horses within your bankroll, and watch each horse accumulate points depending on where they finish. Invite friends to compete against and show them who dominates at all sports, including the sport of kings. Download the Stable Duel app and build your stable today. Get in on the action of Stable Duel play, race, win. All right, Mario, let's get on to our next matchup here. We got Falcons versus Vikings. Fingers crossed that this game ends up happening. We, we saw that there is a COVID issue with the Falcons as of Thursday morning, but hopefully things get settled out and, and they're able to to get on the field in this one because this does also set up, you know, we were just talking about the Lions and Jags as being one of the better DFS games for, for this weekend, but... I think this Falcons Vikings game is right up with them. I think Kirk Cousins is one of the better like streaming quarterbacks this week for season long. Um I think that if if you had that one Madison share where you're waiting for for maybe Dalvin Cook maybe to to get dinged up for a week, this is the week to to where you can finally cash in on that. The Falcons are just kind of running around like a chicken with their head cut off. They obviously just got rid of their coach and GM after last weekend's debacle. So Um, When it comes to this game, even with Dalvin Cook being out, is this Vikings offensive awakening real to you?
2: I think to an extent, uh, because the way they were doing things in the first couple weeks couldn't have been much more ill-conceived, like going ahead with their offense of... uh, Putting Justin Jefferson on the bench and never throwing to Irv Smith, that couldn't work unless they were going to get 200 yards every game from Dalvin Cook and you know 150 every game from Thielen. And they they kind of kept it up for a little bit, but then the wheels fell off with uh, the Colts game, I guess. So they had to get Justin Jefferson going. It's like, oh, what a surprise. He's good. That helps. And then Irv Smith getting going a little bit last week. Can't hurt. I'm not getting my hopes up that high for him, but it's like every time you establish a real threat, that's something that the defense on tape has to account for and spend bandwidth preparing for. That makes everything a little bit easier or at least a little more manageable. So these are all good things that are happening and for as much as i still just kind of can't stand the guy like kirk cousins is not as bad as he was in that colts game so we're kind of seeing them calibrate a new baseline right now and i think we can expect them to to more or less stay there like i, I might have doubts about kubiak as a visionary sort of coach in, in, in you know this sort of postmodern setting yeah like maybe in, the, in the
1: year 2020 yeah it's not the maybe same as 2013 2002
2: or something but i think he can keep this current for, this current blueprint going especially against a defense like the falcons so for me it's just a question of how well do the Falcons play on offense? How serious do they make this game? Do they make the Falcons call, or do they make the the Vikings call thirty five passes or twenty five? And I'm a little worried it's going to be the twenty five. Uh, that's an extreme scenario. I, I would sooner bet thirty or something like that in between. But twenty five passes, and you know Madison takes twenty carries for like hundred yards, two touchdowns. Maybe Boone takes. Uh, six to eight carries for like 40 yards or something Thielen or and Jefferson have like hyper efficient uh, with a touchdown here or there sort of production but I, I don't see anybody really going off unless the Falcons can make a game of it which uh, they'll need Julio Jones I think to make that happen we don't know whether he'll be back otherwise with the Falcons offense, stuff just looks kind of busted and it's like if this game gets turned into – if there's no Julio and if Ridley's kind of like playing 80, 85 percent healthy and this turns into kind of a garbage time scenario where Matt Ryan's just throwing to Zacchaeus and Russell Gage and uh, I don't know, Chris- Christian Blake or some, some garbage yeah, backup Hurst. like Brian Hill. Uh, yeah, it's like Hayden Hurst has to get better but it's it's just – there's only so much – uh, that can be done, especially if he's getting a lot of looks from these safeties. They're they're both pretty good in coverage. Eric Kendricks, if he's on him, that's a no-go. This other, this Eric Wilson linebacker seems pretty good. Seems like a good coverage linebacker. So it's not a great matchup for Hurst. And Gage against, I guess it was, what is it, Mike Hughes or is it Gladney? I can't remember. Gage could get something a little bit going here. I think this matchup's easier for him uh, than, than the last two weeks. But I can't really see... Uh, I can't really see Zacchaeus having an obvious advantage over these corners, especially if if Dirk Cutter is is calling the same sort of offense that he's been, which is just uh, the opposite of what they should do i could see this getting kind of like a just a blowout win for the vikings and so uh, in season long you got to play feeling and you're there's a good reason to, to seriously consider jefferson if you have him uh the matchup is great the question is how much volume they get but i i think madison is the only one that i really trust because i i just don't know if they'll really need much more than him
1: yeah i think i think madison is legit like a top 12 running back for for this week i mean he he always looks good out there whenever he's out there If dalvin cook is you know several cuts above him as as a talent, of course, but Madison can definitely, you know, take what the defense gives him and, and, you know, make make something out of it. And, uh, you know, I think he's, he's above like a replacement level player. I I think at at this stage, pretty promising. I know he didn't have the, the greatest play on that fourth and short, but they also, I think they, didn't they like run it behind Drew Samia, who's like the worst offensive lineman in football or something like that. So that was more of like a, just a bad, play design for the vikings whatever it was Um, i'm not hung up on that i think that madison crushes this week so um, i definitely want to fire him up but i think it's going to be like the only week where he really has value because i think the vikings are on bye after this week dalvin cook gets healthy and then it's back to the, the waiting game once again when it when it comes to madison so this is a week to cash in not particularly high hopes for for uh the rest of the season however let's get on to the football team going up against the giants giants two and a half point favorites in this one Uh, man this this uh daniel jones sophomore slump coming back to earth you know he i wouldn't say that he like made us eat our words last season but he definitely looked better than than i think either of us could have expected and he's just he's looked just plum terrible throughout the course of this season can he get it right to any extent this week going up against the football team
2: I don't know. I think that Jason Garrett maybe made things a little worse. You specifically look at the Evan Ingram usage and it's just bizarre. It's like, he's only calling like four yard curls over and over for Evan Ingram. And I can understand calling a curl a couple times here and there. Why not? But every play with like the fastest other than Slayton, Evan Ingram is the fastest player on that offense. And they're having him run the shortest routes in the most predictable way. And uh, as much as I think Jones is still a bad prospect, and as much as uh, even when he put up his numbers last year, I was, I was saying like, oh yeah, well this this is just another Bortles situation or something like that. Like this is this is a guy who sucks in real life, but he's putting up fantasy points. Which to be fair, at the time he I was. didn't think he was even going to mm-hmm. do that. So I was like, okay, he's at least doing that. I don't, I, I like him now. Uh, so I didn't really care. But he wasn't ever. Good. He was still turning the ball over at a crazy rate last year. And the fumbles uh, were like cartoonish. Here, Oh, yeah. And this year, it's just the turnovers. Like this year, he looks like the player they drafted. He looks like the player who played at Duke and couldn't complete like 65 percent of his passes, even though he was averaging less than 6.5 yards per attempt. Josh Allen had really concerning numbers coming out of Wyoming. Daniel Jones made his Wyoming production look great. And (laughs) now we're kind of seeing him revert to type. And I think at the very least, Daniel Jones well, he's got like moxie or whatever, and he's definitely tough and things like that. He can run if there's some space. It's like there's no space right now, and he can't threaten them such – he can't threaten the defense such that they reconfigure and maybe concede some space to him. So we're just seeing all the bad parts of him, and even if he's willing to be a gunslinger, it's like – you're just throwing the ball into a net the other team is holding. So it's it's just a, – it's a mess, and Joe Judge – I I am not inclined to be charitable toward. I don't think that guy's going to provide any sort of nurturing environment or or a great insight that leads them out of this. So yeah, I can imagine it being pretty bad. Uh, Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram are good players, but uh, Evan Ingram, they're basically tying up every play. Like they're, they're just kind of, disarming him every play and slayton can only do so much but yeah slayton will what he can do last week even with jones being no good
1: yeah exactly yeah so slayton can pile up the yards he the touchdowns really haven't been there for this offense as a whole. And, and of course, especially with, with
2: like two all year or something. I don't even they, remember
1: the, I think I it's three in like <laughs> okay. two of them.
2: Like, I don't remember anyone scoring a touchdown. On team.
1: I remember the Monday night game with, with Slayton against the Steelers. Oh, yeah,
2: the one. Yeah, yeah. But
1: that's, that's really about <laughs> as far as it goes. But yeah, Daniel Jones, uh, we're now on to uh four straight weeks. Without a touchdown pass, uh, so that's. I
2: think, the, I think I think the Washington defense has the upper hand here. They right? do, they
1: really do. Mm. L- like uh, looking at, at you know uh, on the RotoWire player page, like the how the matchup goes for for the quarterback going up against the opposing defense. Like Washington corners have been good against you know oppo- the opposition throughout the course of the season like kendall fuller is playing really well according to the numbers fabian moreau and jimmy moreland are as well maybe you have more context to provide on that than than i do necessarily but
2: darby darby and fuller and fuller is actually good darby and and moreau were both really athletic like day two picks who had really big struggles but you know it's they can run at the very least they also got cameron curl who i guess was a safety at arkansas and he is their slot corner and he's been doing a good job so they have some pieces It's like apke keeps killing them because he keeps uh, giving up big plays picking Ugh. the wrong angles which is insane he runs like a four three flat and he's just yeah he's he's like
1: time. the king of the gym rats
2: yeah, he's a uh, he, he's he's not so great on the on the defensive field. He maybe needs to go to just be a gunner or something. But uh, in any case, it's like Dallas's defense is trash, and, and Daniel Jones could not get anything going against them.
1: So th- this doesn't pr- particularly set up well for that Giants offense. It, it, again, it, I mean, it, a lot of people were saying it last week, but it's like if it doesn't happen against the Cowboys, then w- when is it going to happen? So th- I think that this Giants offense is just kind of destined to be off the cliff. Uh, for the rest of the of the season, you know, like you said, my, minus Darius Slayton and, and Ingram, if they ever figure it out, but hard to be optimistic about that. And then on the other side, just your your thoughts on this Washington passing game. It seems like Dwayne Haskins has just been exiled by the team, so it's Kyle Allen or Alex Smith now. How much does that bring down your projection when it comes to a guy like uh, Terry McLaurin?
2: Well, probably a little bit, and I I think. <sighs> I don't know, like Kyle Allen, like, first of all, he should be fine. So we shouldn't have the Alex Smith thing again. And it's amazing that Ron Rivera said this out loud. And if you're a player on the, on the Washington team, I don't know how you respect Rivera a whole lot after he says something like this, but he said that he took Alex, uh, he took Kyle Allen out of the game to put Alex Smith in because the offensive line was playing too poorly and was letting the quarterback get hit too much. So Ron Rivera was looking in this case for a designated quarterback, that a designated human shield at quarterback. And in his great wisdom and foresight, he thought, well, why not Alex Smith? He's, he just got off the leg brace. He's ready. Oh. Like this, this is this is so insane that, and it's insane that media present for this are aren't like. Uh, excuse me, Ron. I think you must have made a mistake. Would you like to clarify what you just said? Uh, that, that that a guy like Rivera can talk like this and not get roasted into just you know outer space is insane. <laughs> you, you can't come up with like a more reckless premise than what he said there. He basically was like, "Yeah, I wanted Alex Smith to get hurt instead of Kyle if if I had the choice." And it's like, you're a dick. That is insane. You can't, you can't think that way. Um, But he did. And uh, we'll see how much his players want to keep putting it all on the line for him and Dan Snyder. I'm, I'm not that optimistic about that. Uh, and Kyle Allen, it's funny. I was seeing these people breaking down the game, talking about how he was making better decisions than Haskins. And they're talking like, look, he made the correct identification of where the blitz was coming from. And he checked it down to his guy. It's like, do you hear what you're saying? It's like, hey, look, it's don't get me wrong. It's better that he like checked it down instead of taking a
1: sack. Or yeah, it's it like not a, high, not a high bar to clear, but it doesn't mean that he's actually doing well. It's not
2: a competitively meaningful play. And you're talking about how good he's doing by not having the prospect in the first place of making a competitively meaningful meaningful play Like he can't make the downfield throw that we would hope Haskins can make So we never developed the expectation for it in the first place and we don't penalize him for his inability to make it So we find ourselves praising him for checking down to JD McKissick for a five-yard gain on third and seven It's ridiculous. Washington has no idea what they're doing. Uh, It's just a cursed wretched place um this game is disgusting but Antonio Gibson's really good Terry McLaurin are really good they should be able to kind of end of of this very low wave um and they can have a couple breakout points but they're always gonna have you know they're always gonna be one hand tied behind their back basically
1: true um it it, yeah this you would think that having a second-year first-round quarterback, like you could, you could talk yourself into like, yes, there's going to be growing pains, but but maybe there there will be progress. And it feels like they're back at square one. Uh, They've got if,
2: nothing. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: it's really really tough, especially on the offensive side of the ball there. Um, and Antonio Gibson was added to the injury report yesterday with, with a toe, Ooh. so we'll, we'll need to keep an eye on that. Um, because that, that's obviously incredible. you know. It's, I'm not saying that he has the same thing that, that Lindsey had, but you, you just have to realize in the realm of possibilities that a toe injury, not a great thing for a running back to pick no. up. So keep an eye on that. Let's get on over. Bears versus Panthers. Panthers, I got to say, man, scrappy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Matt Rule legitimately did rebuild two uh, problematic players. Uh, programs in college between temple and Baylor and the the process of bringing that about maybe consisted of different things than it would have for other coaches like other coaches might have gotten to the point of point a of being loser all the time and point b of winning quite a bit kind of on schematic uh, improvement and, and acquiring more talent and things like that but with rule it's it seems to be a combination of like he gets his players focused and ready to play as hard as they can and and you know with some level of focus and discipline so it's like he takes a collection of players and he gets them to play toward their kind of higher end of possibility and and that gives him kind of like a week-to-week edge and maybe with with uh, trial and error at the very least he'll even kind of come up with some good insights some good ideas some schemes some tricks in terms of strategy and tactics that make them good on a week-to-week basis I still think they're making a huge mistake with the way that they're using Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore. I feel like they're making it needlessly difficult on themselves by – they're talking about how they want to get Curtis Samuel to make more big plays. And it's like how about you put him at something that he's good at instead of making him – it's just trying more to do the thing that he's worse at, which is playing the exact position they have him playing. If they put DJ Moore – in the slot where Curtis Samuel's running all these like five-yard hooks and curls and stuff, uh, it, it, they might start looking more like that touchdown catch that he had against the Falcons, where he took a route just like that for for the distance after the catch, and and fewer of these plays where Curtis Samuel catches it, and because he's less of a natural hands guy, and he, he's probably spending more bandwidth looking at where the defense is and making sure his head isn't going to get ripped off when he <laughs> catches it, and you know be not as good at running after the catch. And you put more in that situation, you're just going to get better results. And when you put Samuel in Moore's position, you'll get better results than Moore could provide. Because uh, Samuel's best at running outside and creating separation uh, away from good cover corners. Like you put press coverage on Curtis Samuel, that's asking for trouble. Whereas when you put press coverage on DJ Moore, that's probably neutralizing him a little bit. Like you're, you're worse off if you let DJ Moore just run free. Uh, with Curtis Samuel, it's like he doesn't present the same threat. But uh, in any case, they are well – uh prepared on sort of a week-to-week basis and they've got a couple good things going on they have you know the receiver talent just kind of pays off on its own terms just because it's hard to deal with that much speed at any given time and Robbie Anderson really is a really good receiver so with that going on it's like Mike Davis might keep getting room to work with because it's, it's almost turning into a little bit of like the Chiefs offense where with that much vertical speed you know, Even if you don't think Teddy Bridgewater is that good, you have to run with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel every play. You have to make sure they don't get behind you. And when you're done worrying about that, it's like, oh, the crap, they checked it off to Davis again and no one's there. So it can keep working that way. And, and like I said last week, I think Phil Snow's a really good defensive coordinator, actually. It's like the defense, they, they're they coming up with good ideas pretty regularly, I think, because Phil Snow is just really smart. But um, yeah, on offense, they, they really could go to another level if they would just give Curtis Samuel the, the outside downfield routes instead of more. But in the meantime, I, I mean, the, you know, they're, they're winning these games. Uh, they're, they're, they're not exactly, uh, no one's like embarrassing them even in the games that they lose. So, they're not going to change a whole lot is the problem, if, if that remains the case. They need to start getting embarrassed before they reevaluate things. Uh, this is not a game where it happens. So nope. uh, I can see this being pretty tough, actually, because those Bears' outside corners are good, and they, they uh, give them a scheme where they don't even have to do that much. It's, it's kind of uh, it's kind of an easy task that they have. The middle of the field is where you attack the Bears, and Samuel is the wrong guy for it. They, they should put more in that
1: spot. Okay, yeah, so, so obviously the – there's a bit of an inefficiency there with the way that they're using those receivers, and especially you know that that could be exacerbated this week going up against corners like the like the Bears personnel um, have. And then on the Bears side of this, you know you were, you were just mentioning uh, Phil Snow and how he's gotten this defense into shape for for the Panthers. I just I can't find any reason for optimism fantasy wise for this Bears offense really beyond Allen Robinson like the the um, the snaps I, I get like David Montgomery and especially with Le'Veon Bell kind of cutting them from from his um, from his wish list it seems like it, it is the Montgomery backfield but he's just not really doing anything with it.
2: I feel like he was a little better against the Buccaneers than he got credit for. Okay. And I know he's been a kind of disappointment for a lot of people for longer than they'd like to endure at this point. But the, the Panthers have been lit up on the ground pretty well. Uh, I think it'll, it remains to be seen whether it's kind of like the chiefs where they're like, we're letting you run so that we can focus more on the pass and, and hopefully just get you on a, on a k- a carry for a loss eventually this drive. So we can really set up our blitzes. But Uh, there's a chance that they're just straight up bad against the run
1: yeah you you're actually yeah you you're right on there i mean they're they're giving up over five yards of carry, and they've also given up 43 receptions to opposing running backs they've played five games but still
2: yeah, so it, it might be kind of like the Chiefs, kind of like the Packers, but uh, I, think, I think Montgomery sets up pretty well this week. As long as the Bears' defense doesn't give up points really fast, I feel like Montgomery should stay involved and hopefully have one of his higher efficiency outings in the process too.
1: Okay, and then a- anything else to add to, to this Bears' offense before we jump on to the next game? I hate them. Yes, yes, correct answer. Um, let's get on over Texans-Titans. Titans short-ish, short-er? Shorter week, you know, having just played on Tuesday, um, but had the long layoff, of course, as well. Took care of the Bills on Tuesday night, going up against the Texans, who you know got back on the board this past week, but that was against the Jaguars. They 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 now have to go on the road to a Titans team that I think looked more like the Titans team at the end of last season than than it had at any point in this season. Obviously, a shortened sample. You know, they only had they'd only played three games going into Tuesday night. But even even with that in, in mind, you know we know what the Titans can look like when they um, when they're clicking, and it's hell to pay. I mean, it's really tough to deal with with them. I mean, defensively they they smack you in the mouth. Offensively literally derrick henry will smack you in the mouth and then you got to deal with with a.j brown they didn't even have their full complement of receivers as well and then ryan tannehill has the athleticism to 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 make you pay if you leave him alone as a runner as well so i think the titans are legit i'm surprised that they're only three and a half point favorites in this one i think that they they might just kind of crush the texans but maybe i'm wrong
2: well if it's close i guess it has to do with tennessee's cornerback personnel not being so great it's like they got uh Let's say they they got um, Dory Jackson's heard and Malcolm Butler of course made the plays last week. But Butler's always been the kind of corner who it's like he he has to make those big plays because he gives up more than like a shutdown corner of his pay grade otherwise would. So he can be beaten. And the other one is I guess Jonathan Joseph who's like 37. Chris Jackson. How do those Virginia Tech
1: corners play so late into their like into their thirties? Well, I think
2: it's... he he was South Carolina, I think.
1: Uh, uh, I thought he was Virginia Tech, and then I, I was D'Angelo Hall as well.
2: Yeah, I th- uh, he's South Carolina. I don't know who the Virginia Tech guy would have. Brandon Flowers, I guess. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think yeah, Joseph is a weird case, and he was super athletic when he came into the league. So I guess he could be like another, the next Terrence Newman, who who plays until he's forty or whatever, because he. <laughs> was running a 4-3 when he came into the league. But uh, Joseph, uh, I don't know. It's so t- I have such a hard time figuring out what I think about the Texans' offense because it's like, I love the personnel on a player-by-player basis, but I hate the scheme, and I don't think the scheme is any different even though Bill O'Brien is fired. If anything, I think it's like, the shorter version of the Bill O'Brien offense because the next guy in charge has never been in this position of authority before and probably is kind of learning on the fly, you know? So uh, I don't, I don't know if I trust them to have a game plan advantage here. I don't trust them to, I don't know, hold up against the pass rush, stuff like that. So I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that the Titans are the favorite here. If, if they, if they're a trap of some sort, I guess I would have to assume it has something to do with just the schedule quirk or, you know, so something, something about, uh, I don't know. I, I, I see no good reason for them to lose, and, and it's worth noting too. The Texans don't have Benardrick McKinney at linebacker. Uh, Zach Cunningham's good, I guess, but McKinney's definitely good, and he's out. So it's there's just a lot of ways for for the Texans to fall short, and the Titans have a higher floor because they're based on Derrick Henry, and so unless Derrick Henry has just a dud game. The, type, the Titans don't really have their letdown scenario whereas with the Texans all it takes is like you know two drives getting lit up because the offensive line fell apart
1: yeah, and and to to the point on, on slowing Henry, the Texans not really equipped to do that, especially like you said, if if their linebacking depth is you know less than than at full strength, they've given up over five yards per carry as well on their own right. So Titans might get back Adam Humphreys, which would be a, a meaningful improvement, I think. Mm, okay, all right. So all of that is to say uh, that this is a tough spot for the Texans and the Titans, assuming that, you know, we don't have a ton of precedent for teams playing on five days, but you know, we we've seen teams come out on, on Thursdays, of course, after a Sunday game. So what we'll see how that affects them for this Sunday, but I think on paper that this should be a fairly um, easy Sunday for, for the Titans Let's get on over a big AFC North uh, divisional battle. We got the Browns going up against the Steelers. This feels like the Steelers' first big test. I know that the the Eagles have shown something of a pulse, but I, I don't think that this – again, they, they've played less games than everybody else, but I don't think that the Steelers have really gone up against a tough opponent to no. this point. So the Browns certainly are that. I mean, they, they, they obviously got beat up pretty good in that, in that first game, but they've looked – very very sound ever since then Um, obviously not having Nick Chubb um, that hurts their their overall like rushing ability and and, you know it wasn't going to get very far either way going up against Indianapolis last week, I think the Steelers present a similar problem or problem. So Baker Mayfield got beat up a decent amount by, by the Colts there. Um, if this game is on him to, to uh, kind of like move this uh, Steelers or this bears <laughs> Browns offense, like, can he do it against the Steelers?
2: Well, I am confused by the, the, the action on this game so far because 56% so it's not like a ton but a 56% of the bets are on the Steelers to cover which opened at minus 5 and it's down to minus 3 while the over under goes up one and i don't see the basis for either team hitting the over you know uh, contributing to an over like both of these offenses suck in my <laughs> opinion I, or at least in this setting i don't see what other, either offense really has to 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 kind of propel it, an upward trend in the scoring when in the case of the Steelers um, I'm, I'm guessing the people who are betting on the on the Browns to make it closer are doing so because they think Roethlisberger is busted. And that might be true, but even if it is, Mayfield is almost guaranteed to be busted even if everything is going right with him. Like he's He just isn't that good, and the Steelers' defense – Uh, despite whatever concerns we might have with Roethlisberger, I don't have any concerns about the Steelers' defense really. And I I know they gave up some big plays to the Eagles and maybe they're looking at Fulgham's big game and thinking like, oh, this defense is busted now. But I don't think it is. I think it's just, you know, jump ball catches are are kind of the only plays that you can make when you're not getting open and you're not – just throwing an incomplete pass or an interception. It's like, those are the only possibilities, but that doesn't mean that it's a likely one or a sustainable one. And, uh, I don't think that if it's, uh, Baker Mayfield throwing the ball, to like Rashard Higgins instead of Travis Fulgham that we're just going to get the same result. So I, I think that there's a dead end for the Cleveland running game, which has been the engine of all of their competitiveness to this point. Uh, I don't think it gets going against the Steelers defense. And if it doesn't get going, then that means Mayfield has to do more lifting and with more pressure on him during those situations. And so far he's shown the ability to fall flat even with zero pressure. So yep. going to Pittsburgh, uh, dealing with that defense, I just I don't think the Browns offense has any angle at all, even if they're at full strength. And right then on the and other the, side, there's we'll a go. chance
1: that they're not also because as of Thursday, like shortly before we recorded, Odell Beckham was sent home from the from the Browns facility with an illness. They, they haven't said whether it's it's. Uh, they said he was t- negative for covid i think at the time um or they said that he hasn't tested positive to to be more uh, precise on my phrasing there um but that, that's something where on friday and and saturday that that's a huge question mark so if you know you remove the run games efficiency from the browns and then you also don't have odell anymore i mean that that just turns into a really like impossible spot for, for cleveland and mayfield specifically at that point
2: yeah, and as much as it's reasonable to be worried about the Steelers' offense, it's just one of those things, for me anyway, like they have home field. Their defense versus the other team's offense has a greater surplus than the other team's defense versus theirs, and the failures that might occur with the Steelers' offense, we have specific reason to believe will occur with the Browns, so... I feel like even if Roethlisberger really is toast, then I still am not particularly worried about the Browns winning this. Now maybe five points is too much, but the over/under getting higher makes no sense to me at all uh, in the context of the spread getting slimmer. That's just that's like if that's what happens in a universe where Mayfield is good, you know. So <laughs> I'm confused by that uh but yeah if 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 the if the browns end up do winning or covering or whatever then based on how it looks to me it would have to do with roethlisberger kind of turning the ball over and and giving them short fields because um and and when i think about that when i think about what pittsburgh has on offense i actually think pittsburgh has some ways that they can get an edge here because cleveland's defense has some good stuff going uh denzel ward really really good corner and they got of course miles garrett Ogan Joby, Sheldon Richardson, they can cause some pass rush problems. Maybe Jordan Elliott turns out to be a good defensive tackle, but they don't have defensive back depth. And uh, as much as Kevin Johnson can be an improvement in the slot, and if Greeny Williams is back, that's helpful too. The Steelers have kind of like a four wide offense as their base right now, whenever they're moving the ball anyway. And it's like if you put Claypool out there with Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith Schuster, James Washington, or Eric Ebron's, one of those people. I just don't think the Browns have the depth to withstand that a whole game. Not like many maybe teams do. Them. Yeah, it's like maybe you'll stop them most drives, but eventually it's like somebody's going to slip up against Claypool or someone's going to slip up against Washington or Juju's going to make a big run after the catch or Deontay Johnson will because all those guys can do things like that. And it's not for a lack of throwing the ball that the Steelers aren't getting these big plays. It's just that Roethlisberger can't make these killer throws that he used to, or at least he hasn't yet. So, and the other possibility is it's like maybe Roethlisberger is shaking off some rust. And maybe he's gets it all off in this setting. So, um, I don't see the basis for, for really fading Pittsburgh beyond like maybe the possibility that
1: five points is too many.
2: But even if it is, it's like I think the over-under is too high if it is.
1: Okay. All right. That, that definitely adds up. And then, yeah, just – general comment on Claypool man that's that's just a, a different dude out there he's he's crazy and I I don't think that he's gonna disappear from the offense I mean the last two weeks he's played over 50 snaps so that that's a, a definite sign that he's a staple of this offense now and and the way that you know he rewarded them for uh, playing that hefty amount of snaps la- last week catching seven of those 11 targets for 110 and three scores running in another one it's like you can't take this guy off the field right now that's just you just can't He's just too too much of a problem. And uh, until somebody figures out how to stop a guy that's that big and that fast and athletic, that's also way more polished, I guess, as a receiver maybe than we expected, you know, it's just going to... Mm-hmm.
2: he's he's great for Roethlisberger right now because he's the kind of target that you can get the ball to even if you suck at throwing a football you know yeah. like it's like yeah he's big so it's harder to miss him he's doing a ton of work after the catch like even more than the other three guys even though the other three especially Juju and Deontay Johnson are good at that so it's like it's the hardest one to miss and it's the one that you get the most you know reward
1: for for doing the least work what I mean that's that's a beautiful setup man yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's and, good, good for Claypool, at least. <laughs> Maybe not for the other guys.
1: Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. Um, Let's get on over next matchup. Uh, we got the Broncos going up against the Patriots. Um, assuming that we might actually have a, a full bill here as far as the, the quarterbacks are concerned, Cam Newton activated from the COVID list as of Wednesday. It looked like, I think, on yesterday that that uh, Drew Locke was trending in the right direction. He practiced in full on Wednesday, so that's a sign that he's going to be back. So both these teams theoretically at full strength i know that um uh, courtland sutton is, is obviously out for the season and, and noah fant a little bit dinged up as well with with that ankle but even still you know that this isn't the complete train wreck on paper that, that it could have been if it was driscoll or um brett ripon versus a brian hoyer jared stidham kind of just uh, just awfulness so at least it's not going to be that um so that that's yeah, good but um what are your we'll expectations for this Gordon. game
2: I mean, I guess we'll see about Gordon and his DUI thing. I don't mm-hmm. know what the latest is there. But it uh, seems like Hamler's out, so that makes the Broncos a lot slower, a lot more easy, to, a lot easier to bring your safeties up on them. I, I imagine Bill Belichick will have some sort of designated zone coverage sort of scheme for, for dealing with Fant because Fant's best plays this year have come on these – these plays that pat Shermer called up where they almost remind me of sean mcveigh and robert woods the way that they're using motion and these kind of novel blocking setups to create these sort of targets that are they're kind of like screens uh but they're they're a little bit downfield here and there because they, they just designed the whole play to funnel the ball to this one player and it's it's worked pretty well because fans of course really good after the catch and he's 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 fast enough that if the defense is just a split second too slow to figure out what's going on, sometimes it's too late. But Belichick has a way of anticipating most of those possibilities. And if he's willing to bet that Locke can't get Judy and, I guess, Tim Patrick going downfield, then he's willing to make the gamble. And I guess that would entail playing a little less man coverage than they tend to. But uh, I figure that might be on the table here because – why would Drew Locke be good at re- deciphering zone coverages? Like it's, if anything, he he probably makes his best throws when it's man coverage, and he he has reduced his understanding of possibility to just like, I got to throw it at this guy over here, and either he'll turn around and make a catch, or. It's just we're going to punt or it's going to be a sack or something. And when it's that simple, the quarterback can just make these throws. And sometimes it's like the fulgum thing last week. It's like sometimes the guy isn't really that open and he just makes the catch anyway. Um, so, But that's specifically what it would take for Locke, I think, in this setting. And it's it, it feels like a lot to me. I think Belichick will probably have something – pretty painful waiting for the Denver offense. So I'm inclined to look at the spread. And as much as I think the Broncos, at least for a couple quarters, will play tough defense. I think cam is the real deal in this offense. And I I think the Foxborough defense, if it is what it is, usually uh, should probably be in a good spot for like a touchdown, a defensive touchdown. So I I think I like the the Patriots to cover this one, especially if Gordon is out. But I, I guess I would say so, even if he is in, because it's just, I don't think Jerry Judy is the kind of receiver or Tim Patrick is the kind of receiver who can score quickly, especially in a matchup like this.
1: Right. It, it would take some sort of just like busted play on, on the back end. It's not going to be like manufactured like that. They are straight up beating the the Patriots secondary. That's usually not how that works and, and certainly not with, with what the Broncos are cooking with at the moment. Briefly, Jets, Dolphins, um, I guess just green light for everybody on the Dolphins.
2: Uh, I guess in the passing game, yes, and fi- the, the, I actually might say the passing game, yes, and the running game maybe a little less. So, like you're still playing Gaskin if you if you have him in most cases, just because of the workload that it comes with. I would just be prepared for maybe a sub, uh, whatever, a lower range outcome with with the rushing yardage per carry, just because Greg Williams, I think, to the bitter end, will will always play the run very hard, even if he has to leave his outside corners on an island, which just tends to be exactly what he does which is why it works so well for ryan fitzpatrick because it's like if you leave your outside corners on an island against two tall receivers like preston williams and Devontae parker and when you have a quarterback like fitzpatrick who kind of just likes to chuck it at the corners uh, and, I, and i mean like the corners of the field uh he, he just kind of goes vertical on the sideline or he's chucking it here or there williams sets up that basically like t-ball uh, or, or yeah like t-ball it's it's it's, it's just you, he he basically makes you do it because it's so much harder to run the ball than it is to throw it at those corners. So you're like, all right, man, if you want me to go at your biggest weakness every play, I guess I will. <laughs> like, let me know if you want me to stop doing that. And Greg, you know, he's, he's a tough guy. He doesn't care. He's like, no way. I'm not going to give up and give you – I'm not going to give in. I'm going to demonstrate my willpower by doing specifically what you want me to because – I think I'm such a man that I I think we should be able to stop you anyway and it's like yeah well you won't so it's 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 gonna be the same matchup as it's been the last two times it's like Fitzpatrick is really set up well against these Jets this Greg Williams defense especially when he has receivers like these
1: yes and what did you think of Preston Williams breakout game finally um, last week where he caught four or five for 106 and, and and a score
2: I don't know I think it's I think it's just kind of something that was always in the range of possibilities this whole time like I doubt I doubt it was something like he's in the middle of practice on Thursday and he he feels like a little tweak and he's like I think my knee is better guys like I don't think that's what happened I think it was more just kind of you know the BABIP went up for one game and uh he he's he's good to be clear I I think um I'm not saying last week was was a fluke. I'm saying maybe the first 3 weeks were kind of a fluke and yeah. uh something more like last year is what we can expect for the most part.
1: That would be that'd be great to see, you know, obviously coming off the ACL I think a lot of people were chalking up the the slow start to the season to that but it if couldn't he's, have helped no but
2: yeah it's like at the very least we, we should have known just as even if we knew that to be the case and accepted it it's like well then it's still just a matter of time mm-hmm. and you know each week that happened each week that passes where he doesn't go off it means it's more likely now than ever before that he
1: will yep and uh you know going up against the Jets like you said the, the way that they funnel things out towards the pass and, and beat themselves that should set up really well for William's this week let's get on over to one of the bigger games of this weekend we got the Packers going down to Tampa Bay to face off against the Buccaneers pack one point favorites in this one they're coming off the bye it looks like they're getting Devontae Adams back so that that's a scary proposition for anybody but they also you know with with Lazard being out I I don't think that they, they felt the full sting of that um the you know going up against the falcons in that in that monday night game so so with with all of that in mind and and the way that you know adams can affect this offense you know how does this how well do you think this packers offense travels down to uh, tampa bay with with how well that the bucks defense is playing
2: i'm a little concerned i think that this is a pretty dangerous setup for Rodgers, and even with adams back i i don't know how much we can expect him to be 100 percent and there's a possibility that Carlton Davis is a corner who could – not that it would be a reason to fade Adams or be afraid for Adams. But it could be the kind of thing that keeps Adams at sort of 85 percent range outcome instead of 100 or 110 like he might. Again, some, a more vulnerable corner because uh, Davis matches up height-wise pretty well. Like he's 6'1", 205-ish. So uh, he's got that press build. But he's not so tall that, that Adams would just easily juke him. And he's not so small that Adams can kind of bully him on a slant or anything like that. So Adams actually, actually has to get Davis twisted up a little bit, which he can do. It's just – it's it's uh, you know not as many possibilities as against a different sort of corner basically. And if Adams can't come through uh, – like Marquez Valdez-Scanling, he, he's a tall guy and he moves really fast. So that's something. That's always something to work with there. But Jamel Dean – can run and is a tall corner too. And so is bunting Murphy if he should end up on Valdez Scantling. So those guys are all really well built to stop a guy like him. And I'm not really expecting Tanyan to step oh, up. I, I guess I don't, don't know what burst I expect. the bubble. Of... Well, well, Tanyan's totally decent. I think I should first say, like, I don't, I don't think it's because he's like bad that this is a bad setup for him, but you can imagine him maybe blocking a little more on passing downs than he did against the Falcons. And you can imagine, Levante David and Devin White and the safeties making it tougher on him than the Atlanta players could. So I'm not expecting that to be a a real edge for the Packers. And then uh, what else do they even have? It's it's like uh, those other receivers just, oh, I guess they get Equinemius back. That'll be pretty interesting. Uh, Sean, I'm guessing he might have to play the slot actually like Lazard did. And uh, he's a lot bigger than Bunting Murphy. He's a lot taller, I should say. So that's kind of interesting. But if he has a good game, it'll be because he like snuck up on the Buccaneers and they didn't really they didn't know how to expect him basically because he's played so little. So I'm not getting my hopes up for that. I think they actually beat Aaron Jones a lot to win this game. Like with Vita Vea out of the lineup, just just see what they got. You know, it's like maybe maybe their backups are pretty good. Maybe they will hold the point back. Maybe they anchor really well even without him. But you have to make them prove it because they've more recently proven that their corners can be a problem. And it's like, you know, we'll maybe go test that eventually, but see if we find a little easier option first. And Jones is really good. The offensive line is working well to this point, like do that and then try to throw the ball instead of asking Rogers to, to go on the road and beat this defense that I, I think Probably has like w- at least like a top five secondary and maybe like the second best behind the Ravens or something.
1: Yeah, it's definitely talented and it keeps getting better. So you know, it's funny. Like a year ago, this time, like you could pick on the Buccaneers and their secondary, but it, they were all young guys that were just kind of thrown into the fire. Now we're in year two with them, and, and the the results are, are starting to come out. And like you said, that they, they really are um, a problem for opposing offenses. Rodgers, the way that he's playing. I don't know if if it, if it all matters. Some of the times, like when you just are as playing at a level like the way that Rodgers is right now, that that he can just kind of overrun it. But at the same time, you know the the long standing complaint with this Packers offense coming into this season is just like lack of weapons outside of Devontae Adams, and I, I think that we still don't really have that answer. You know, but like you said, MVS and maybe Ekonemius St. Brown and everything, but the those aren't completely proven guys at this point so what well, we'll see it's it's a rubber meets the road thing when, when it comes to rogers this week going up against the this bucks defense i think that he can he can um kind of override it though a little bit and then on the on the Buccaneers side of things obviously injuries still playing a factor with, with the weapons around tom brady so what do you make of this passing game? And then also with the way that Aaron, or I'm sorry, Ronald Jones ran against the bears. Is there some reason for optimism that, that maybe the bucks can move the ball on the ground here?
2: Yeah. The Packers kind of even going back to last year, you know, Mike Pettin was kind of saying we might concede a little bit on the ground so that we can get more resources channeled toward our coverage and pass rush. So if you're going to do that, then, you know, you probably will give up some bit on the yard a bit of yardage on the ground and they've done that so far. Ronald Jones is he's kind of a goofy player but he's he's had at the very least you know moments of of productivity like he's flashed certain really useful skills at various points and he was a really great dominant player in college so I'm inclined to look at him a player like him as maybe a weird case but still one with a pretty clear trajectory which is like a fluctuating sort of trajectory but one that's going upward very slowly over time and he he came into the year so young so underdeveloped like he's added like 20 25 pounds of muscle since he got into the league it's like when you change your body that much and when you're learning a new whole task at the same time it's like you're you're gonna need to you know slip and slide a little bit as you you recalibrate and like get your grips on everything and i think we're seeing him now kind of put it all together or at least uh you know enough for him to to really show what he can do in in a convincing way. Like you put him on the field now and you more or less expect him to run well. Whereas in the past you would put him on the field and have no expectation really. Uh, it's like maybe you don't think he's going to be a star but now you don't feel anxious about giving him simple tasks and he has a good setup here I actually expect the, the Buccaneers to win so that for, for that reason I further feel reassured about Ronald Jones in this setting mm. if it was a setting where I thought they would fall behind maybe I get worried then because uh, you know Keyshawn Vaughn or whatever sort of thing might muck it up in the passing game but if there's running to be done Jones is the best option and I think there will be running to be done in this one I, I also like the passing game setup for the Buccaneers too though and the reason is Mike Evans Evans, or Jair Alexander is awesome I think he's a great corner but he there's only so much he can do against a receiver who is 6'5". Jair plays him perfectly even if he points the ball perfectly when it comes in it's still tough to stop Evans there and putting Kevin King on Evans I think Evans gets open even faster even though Kevin King is supposed to be built to stop a receiver like Evans so I don't think they can deal with Evans and i if they if they can't deal with evans and if they can't stop jones i feel like that alone makes them in a pretty tough spot uh, i guess I should, I should say though going back to the packers offense real briefly carlton davis did not practice yesterday with some abdomen thing i don't know if he's out or whatever but if, if davis is out that's definitely good news for rogers and adams
1: oh okay all right yeah so that that'll be something to, to keep an eye out with, with the injury report sticking with that tampa bay injury report uh can we get a little status check from you on Chris Godwin? I know that he was a limited uh, participant in Wednesday's practice, but I mean the, the hamstring always <laughs> tricky in season to deal with for for a receiver. I mean, the we just for a guy that was one of the top five uh, receivers off the board in drafts it's been you know not necessarily by his fault i mean when he's out there he's caught 11 out of 13 targets at, at over 10 yards a target and you know right on the 11 just like he was a year ago has a touchdown on top of it but you know with the health being a factor here like what what is his value for the rest of the season
2: well he's awesome but i don't know what the deal with the hamstring is i, I don't really expect him to be full strength this week but uh, if he is, it's a tough matchup against Chandon Sullivan, but I would have to defer to Godwin in any matchup, really. It's like may- Maybe Marlon Humphreys is a-, is a corner who I would say he's at a disadvantage against, but if it's not him... i I defer to godwin Uh, i guess i gotta mention i like the buccaneers to win if mike evans plays and he did not practice yesterday with an ankle thing i'm just seeing so uh some conditional predictions there if evans is out then i guess i'd like the packers to win and if if evans is in then i i think yeah that that's basically where where it all lies for me
1: maybe i just drink too much tap water but um or wisconsin Tapwater, water to be, to be specific uh but I, I i like the packers in this one i, I think that the way that Rodgers is playing right now um plus the the rest of the the rest of the way that the defense is playing on top of it i think the packers are rolling right now i mean this is a this is a huge test for them of course especially with it being on the road but um i i do like the packers in this spot um just to defer or um differentiate slightly um let's get on over we got an nfc west matchup here the, the niners just got knocked flat on their back against the dolphins a week ago and now they get to face a rams team that i think has played so much better than i was expecting throughout the course of this season feels like the super role hangover for the 49ers not just with, with all the injuries but just like the way the way that everything else has been going with them just feels lackadaisical feels sloppy just doesn't feel like a a, you know the 49ers team from from the last season so how do they kind of get right here in in a spot where it's going to be difficult to do so
2: yeah I don't know I mean in some sense it's kind of taking Jalen Ramsey out of the game when you run an offense with especially when you use the receivers in an offense like the way Kyle Shanahan does with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, almost like a different position entirely than proper wide receiver. They're, they're basically just these, uh, I don't know what you'd call them. They're, they're like jet sweep backs or something like that, that occasionally run routes. And it's on the one hand novel and, and can, again, can kind of reduce the significance of, of the coverage advantage that Ramsey has over most receivers But it's also kind of a it's one of those premises that has a diminishing return. Like there's a reason why we don't run NFL offenses with five Percy Harvin positions. It's like the the novelty is part of what makes it effective in the first place. And if you indulge the theme too much, then you start to get diminished returns and you kind of just find yourself unable to do anything if, if things go a little off course, which is what happened last week, certainly. But Jimmy Garoppolo, I think. I don't think Garoppolo is any good, first of all. But nope. I also think he probably wasn't very healthy or nope. something in that game. Like, I think he's bad and still was just unusually bad for himself. So I don't I don't know whether to think that he would be any better shape this week than last week. I mean, I, I guess I hope so. But I, I don't have any basis for believing it so. And if that's the case, then I can't really get my hopes up for the San Francisco offense in any particular aspect. And aside from Kittle, I mean, just because he, you know, they, they can get lit up and he can do something sure. and uh, they can still lose handily. But uh, on the other side, it's like especially with the, the 49ers defense is beat up as it is. It's like I can't pick them to have the upper hand over McVeigh. like McVeigh like this, this. The 49ers might have been looking ahead a week and that might have explained part of why they lost to the Dolphins. But even if so, there's no way McVeigh wasn't looking at this week the whole time. Like he, he mm-hmm. it's not like he's gonna get in here and be like, "Oh crap, I wish I hadn't used all my tricks already." I forgot that the season was more than five weeks long. Like he would be, I think he, or at least I trust him anyway, to be in a spot where he's he's got his own tricks here. And I, if with Shanahan, it's such a talent uh, deficit versus McVeigh. I don't think it matters how clever Shanahan is or how lacking in cleverness that mcveigh is it's like i just don't see how they how they bridge that gap uh, for the 49ers so yeah i i tend to buy in with the the, the direction of the action on this game which is a six and a half point swing in the
1: from minus three to plus three three and a half for the 49ers and the over under went up by two my goodness yeah that's a that's a lot of money fl- flooding in then in one direction so very interesting there that it, it swung that hard but uh, hard to hard to like you know cleanse your eyes of what of what of what you saw from that forty ers game last week if you peeped in on, on that game in the in the late afternoon window because that was insane I, I like I, I could not believe what, what yeah, was it's going wild. on that's <laughs> um, wild um, Let's get on over probably the marquee matchup I, I know that the the Packers box is very close to this one but uh, Chiefs Bills on on Monday night. Um, that's a huge game it's got a lot of AFC implications Um, it's a big how real are you moment for the Bills and especially coming off of the the beatdown at the at the hands of the Titans this past week maybe you feel less good about it than than you did and you know I wouldn't buy a a look ahead type of situation for the Bills I don't think that they're quite in that position to to do that Um, the Chiefs coming off that loss i think makes them all the more scary in this one and I, I think that the chiefs they kind of get this sense where like they know when they when they need to show up and they reach another gear and that's just something that it's as far as i can tell is basically impossible to stop uh i know that the i mean credit to the raiders for, for getting the win on sunday at arrowhead of course but even still i think that the chiefs if they play 60 minutes of their best ball against the Bills like I think they're going to it, they're just such a machine it's it's hard to imagine them losing here but but what do you make of this one
2: Yeah it's uh on the one hand I think Josh Allen played better than his numbers looked like Yeah people were ready the, to
1: pounce on Monday or Tuesday
2: Yeah they deserved it I it was one of those things like I'm not going to do the bashing I'm not going to make fun of the the Josh Allen freaks over this cuz I I did, I thought Allen basically played pretty well he he didn't have a a ton of help in that game. But when you start to say that on the basis of four games, Josh Allen is better than Lamar Jackson, who at age 22 was it one MVP and and had like 40 touchdowns. And uh, yeah. So if if you want to say on four games, he's better than that guy. Then you, do get told that Josh Allen sucks because uh, Andre Roberts tipped an interception. He sucks now. That's the rules you set up. These rules. This is how it works now. Um, so I, I wouldn't defend Josh Allen or his his freaks for that reason. Even though I wouldn't jump in on the on the bashing specifically, but uh, he's still doing good. And the the problem here for him. And it's not really like a problem. It's just kind of it's another test for him is that the Kansas City defense is largely designed specifically to stop offenses like the Bills and, pl- and quarterbacks like Josh Allen because like I was talking about before, they put Traverius Ward and, and in this case, I guess like Rashad Fenton, Bashaw Breeland since the Jari Sneed is out. They put them as outside kind of like cover three type corners, making like a bumper corner where they try to take you away from the sideline and funnel you into the middle of the field where Tyron Matthews is playing slot corner at a very high level, giving you a dead end. And the dead end has to the left of it or the right of it, Chris Jones coming in and he's just chopping down people. So everywhere you look, there's just kind of this blockage. And then if you try to, if you theorize like, well, if they're all in my face, then I just need to go deep because there can't be anyone there. Right. Well, Juan Thornhill's there. So it's not easy to, to make it happen. Like if, if Alan, gets going in this game. I think it'll have to be a lot of running. Like I think he'll have to see that scenario where Matthews shutting down Cole Beasley and Chavarius wards kind of getting it, closing in hard on Stefan Diggs as he's running a, a curl and uh, you know, Juan Thornhill's sitting over where if John Brown's back, he's, he's eyeing John Brown. Josh Allen needs to look at that and instead of making a bad throw or holding on to the ball, he needs to just run mm-hmm. and and hopefully get them to maybe get Thornhill to move up to, to account for that or, or switch, switch something about the defense that creates an opening somewhere because it's basically built and it's, it's effectively built to anticipate what the bills have been doing successfully all year. So it'll be tough, but being at home helps. And uh, I don't know it's like if, if he plays as well as he did against the Rams, especially then he should be able to at least hold serve. But there is some level of danger here, I think.
1: Okay, yeah, that that definitely adds up as far as the way that this Chiefs offense sorry the Chiefs defense can set up against a a Bills offense that's predicated on what it is predicated on and I think one of the big reasons on the other side of this one why the Bills struggled defensively on Tuesday night was obviously with with Tredavious White being sidelined I think that that really really caused a lot of problems for them that
2: changed everything actually because AJ
1: Brown might not really have gotten going if White was in there well, I, I mean, I'm the biggest AJ Brown stand in the world, but you, you, you might be right on on that one. But I mean, either way, because he was
2: making it look easy, you know. Was. And it's like if, if if that first read isn't there, maybe Tannehill panics, slips up, something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he was he was open all day because White was not in there.
1: Exactly, and you know, the the more like Josh Norman snaps out there, the the worse it gets for the Bills and, and for him specifically. So if White is back in this one. Do you think that you give the Bills defense a puncher's chance here at, you know, maybe, maybe gunking up the engine a little bit for the Chiefs?
2: Maybe. I don't know if it's fair. Like, like White's really good. It's just, I, I think he's kind of, um, he's more like corner f- five to eight or something. And some people seem to think that he's like a, on the same level of, uh, I don't know who the best like Marlon Humphrey or Jalen Ramsey. And he's not that he's he's he. they use him the same way, but he doesn't get quite as good of results. He's still very good. Uh, it's just I don't even know if it's I don't know if it moves the needle against a player like Tyreek Hill, basically, because okay. Tyreek, if you do stop him, it's not because your corner just played such great man coverage. Like you have to put help on him if you leave it truly one on one. I don't know if Ramsey or, or uh, whoever else can do anything against Tyreek Hill either. So you have to give him help. And uh, if you're helping, maybe maybe the, the white part doesn't man- matter quite as much as, as how well the safeties play and how good of a plan McDermott has for Tyreek. Um, but it always leaves Travis Kelsey open. When, you, when you, your, your reward for playing good coverage against Tyreek Hill is that Kelsey is open now. And uh, that will be interesting because if they do stop Tyreek Hill, I, I still take Kelsey to win in this matchup, I guess. But it's like if anyone can stop Kelsey, then maybe it's safeties like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer who are, are really good at playing that robber kind of defense in the middle of the field. And they'll need to do that and do really well. There's, there's just all these, there's these various collisions between the, the Bills and the Chiefs where it's like it's a strength-meet-strength strength kind of thing. The Chiefs generally look like the favorite, but the Bills have it in them possibly to, to win. It's just they'll, they'll really need to be on their game.
1: Yeah, they, they need to they need to really play – close to a perfect brand of football to to beat the chiefs and then if if the chiefs play perfect then it just doesn't matter (laughs) against anybody basically um all right let's round things out we got cardinals going up against the cowboys over under sitting at 55 even though obviously dak prescott out for the season we got the red rifle back there now with with andy dalton going up against kyler murray (sighs) i'm not i mm, this game like uh, if it was Dak versus Kyler, I would be very excited for it. I'm less so now. um The Cardinals, they did what they needed to uh, against the Jets. You know, of course, they, they got they got the win. They they checked the box, as it were. But I still am not convinced uh, of them having they really re- righted again. the ship. Say again?
2: It, it, they started slow again in that game. Yeah. Every time that they end up winning, it's because Kyler just kind of does the, the way the second half to Sean Watson did under Bill O'Brien. It's like the offense with its game plan. The game plan fails. And then in the second half, Kyler Murray just says, OK, NFL street. That's what we're playing now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he can win the game single handedly. But it would be, really be nice if Kurt if uh, Cliff Kingsbury could just be what he's supposed to be and, and show some kind of insight instead of just being this guy who carries around some other guy's playbook everywhere he goes, protecting it like, uh, you know, the, the the water boy coach. Yeah. Um, after he stole it from. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, or, the guy, I guess the, I guess we're going with the Fonz's character and he, he's protecting his playbook in the 70s and it's been taken from him. And I hate that's, him, I hate, him, I hate That's him. basically Cliff Kingsbury right now. He's like, oh, my, my special Mike Leach playbook isn't saving me anymore. I might have to think of a thing. And yeah, in this case, it's like he's got to get Larry Fitzgerald off the field. He has to move Christian Kirk to Larry Fitzgerald's role. He has to move Andy Isabella to Christian Kirk's old role at right receiver. Things might open up a little bit then. Um, In any case, Dallas's defense is so dysfunctional. I'm not sure even Cliff can screw this up. So I'm not worried about anything on the Arizona side. I think even Kenyon Drake probably has a good game here, Uh, although he's, he's certainly having a strange season. The Dallas side is more of a question, I feel like, but... Even though I don't think Dalton is very good, I still think this offense still stays very useful Sounds in Tennessee. Like,
1: like foolproof.
2: Well, it's just when you run that many plays, and when you throw the ball on that many of those plays that you run, and you have receivers like these on the targets, I, I like Dalton had a couple thirty touchdown seasons with the Bengals, you know, and that was mostly because of AJ Green and I guess even like Marvin Jones and guys like that. But the point is, he showed an ability to ride the coattails of his receivers. And with receivers like these, maybe he can kind of do it again. I
1: could, I could definitely see it. I mean, like there, there's so much talent on, on this, uh, in this receiving core. You still have Zeke getting to run against this Cardinals defense, and that should soften things up a little bit for Dalton. I do worry about this offensive line, but I don't think yeah. that like, the Cardinals are the ones, especially with Chandler Jones being out, to, to be the one that, to really like, right. force the issue.
2: Yeah, it's like with if Jones was in there, I'd be like, oof, he's over under for sacks is like two and a half. For the Claiborne
1: him. game coming.
2: Claiborne game, yes. It, Claiborne game with Chandler Jones is like 15 sacks, by the way. <laughs> Claiborne had like five sacks and he wasn't even good. Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, maybe maybe Claiborne game happens and it's like whatever Jordan uh, – what's not the Oklahoma one? Jordan something?
1: Phillips? No.
2: Yeah, Jordan Phillips. Maybe mm-hmm. Jordan Phillips has a Claiborne game here. Who
1: knows? Okay. That, that is in the realm of possibility. Um, anything else to add to this game?
2: No, I think I think it's gonna I, I think it's gonna be a shootout. I think both of these teams th- are are prone to certain things that will bring out the higher ranges of production from the other
1: okay well at least at the very least that should make for a fun uh night cap to to the week six action uh but otherwise that's gonna wrap things up for the thursday edition of the Roto wire nfl podcast for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening and make sure you tune in for friday's show scott jenstad andrew laird bringing down the dfs slate for the upcoming weeks and make sure you listen to that as well happy week six everybody